Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan. With me, as always, is a man who, if you look at him long enough, reminds you of his wife, of your wife. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and I can remind you literally of any woman if you stare at my <laughs> stare image. Stare at you long enough, yeah. Long enough. Uh, long enough to the point where your eyes sort of... <laughs> your optical nerves <laughs> You do that thing if you stare in a mirror for like for like a minute <laughs> yeah. straight and you're, it gets all goopy and wobbly. Yeah, right. that thing. All right, yeah. But with your face. In the, I am a human-shaped thing. That, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Squint real hard. Before we get into our movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. Uh, over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get a little bonus action. Yeah, uh, you can. Oh, Snap yeah. Snap into a Slim Jim. Sorry, I can't, I can't control myself. <laughs> no snapping into Slim Jims live on, the, on the podcast, Pat. Please, I don't, I don't need Randy Savage to burst through any doorways here. <laughs> I just, I don't know. The other day, I couldn't stop. I, this happened about two weeks ago. I just couldn't stop thinking about the phrase snap it to a Slim Jim and just how absurd the era we grew up in was. <laughs> uh, the 90s were a weird time. Uh, for that dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode and you get to vote on what that bonus episode is going to be. I put together a list of non-criterion films and option five on that list is always Kazam, the 1996 Shaquille O'Neal starring children's movie in which he plays a genie trapped in a boombox. Uh, Truly a masterpiece Kazam is cinema Is not the worst movie we've ever watched for this No it's not, it's not even in that Probably the top five now <laughs> That's fair That's fair uh, But yeah uh, that list is usually based on Movies we've watched recently I occasionally take uh, Suggestions for lists from our supporters uh, Sometimes it's just me on a whim doing a thing. Yeah, so, sometimes uh, it's some sort of weird drug-induced fugue yeah. state that like doesn't make any sense. Right. So we watch a lot of different happens. different movies over there. Uh, as I said, all non-criterion films. Uh, as of this recording, the most recently posted bonus episode is Godzilla, Mothra, and King Ghidorah from two thousand one. Uh, that won't and, be the one when you actually listen to this episode. Right. 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 But uh, but that's a delightful episode. Uh, yeah, it was really fun to record. Yeah, we have a lot of fun over there. Thanks, Dad. Sorry. <laughs> yep, we all we all have a lot of fun over there. <laughs> we all have a lot of fun over there, Pat. We all are having a lot of fun over here. Everybody's yeah. having fun. All right, but it's time for everybody to go to bed, okay? That's the important part is you have fun. Uh, get your shoes on. We're almost at Grandma's house. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> for $5 Sorry. a month, we'd like to thank those supporters on air. Thank you to Adam Speakerman for your continued $5 support. Uh he gets thanked every week as of right now because he is our only $5 supporter yeah, right now. Yeah, so congratulations. If you want to stop hearing Adam Speakerman's name, also donate $5. Honestly, we're not going to stop saying his name no, until we no, get to until, like, we're, until, The number of supporters that would prevent right, that from happening right. would be hundreds. It's That's fair, yes. I am I'm okay going, with reading I'm not going to read 99 names. names a week, but but maybe. I mean, I'm not At least once. It. At least once. 
Uh, a little above that, we do something that I think is really great. Um, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. We get that printed up on a postcard, and I write a little thank you note uh, and mail that out. Uh, that's $10 and above. Uh, and uh, we like to thank those guys on air, too. So thank you to Jason Westhaver and to Michael McGrath for your continued yes, support at that level. That's patreon.com slash criterion if you want to get involved with that. And we'd be very grateful for you, too. Yeah, I mean, the best part about that tier, honestly, is that sometimes it's art and sometimes it could be qualified as eye crimes. <laughs> That's fair. But sometimes it is transcendent. So Yes. Sometimes you're going to put it on your wall at your office to terrify, you know, small animals that might wander in. And sometimes you'll put it on the wall in your office because you want to look at it every day. Yeah, some of them I really do want to look at every. If I could get, if I could get the first one I ever made, paired oh, the, up with uh, the, the very one, the very very first one. We're talking about the In Bruges one the, uh, that literally nobody owns because yeah. I don't think it got mailed to anybody. I don't think it did either. I did. Uh, I did about a run of like five or six that I just made them because I was like, well, if I don't start making these, they're never going to happen. Right. I kind of tried to the secret them into existence, basically. <laughs> and it, it, you succeeded. So yeah, I, I guess it worked out. I mean, I guess yeah. it was a good plan. Yeah. Uh, this week we are talking about a Jules Dassin film. A few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, I believe, we watched Jules Dassin's Naked City, a police investigation noir. This uh, week, we are talking about the film Dassin made directly before that, Brute Force, a, uh, a noir as well, but one about prison, a prison escape movie, ultimately, uh, but also a daily life of prison movie. Um, Dawson had a spread through the late 40s of noir uh, that uh, we've seen, I think, all of at this point. Thieves Highway, Night in the City, uh, The Naked City. Um, There's probably some more in there. But but very shortly after that, uh, as we move into uh, the later 40s, 49, 50, uh, the House on Americans Activities Committee was all like, hey, we're blacklisting you. And uh, checks out. That's when. Uh, that's actually when Night in the City got made. Um, because Night in the City he made in London um, in 1950. And he essentially fled to London <laughs> to make Night in the City. Um, and he was blacklisted, and in fact, uh, until Rafifi, which he made in France, uh, in French, in fact, um, a few years later, uh, he was essentially uh, barred from U.S. release. Like films, films he produced or films he directed wouldn't even get American releases for a long time. Um, I believe Night in the City had a very limited release in the U.S., uh, but uh, but for the most part, he was barred. Uh, but you can't keep a good artist down, and Rafifi was right. too good of a movie to uh, to have that uh, have that be fair, <laughs> have that be true, continue to be true. So, uh, despite the fact that he was blacklisted and working in France, he was uh, it was still an international success. Uh, 
Uh, well, Rafifi is real fucking good. I well, mean, Rafifi is real good. Uh, but Brute Force from 1947. Um, it's... Uh, I mean, it's also real fucking good. Yeah. It's an interesting counterpart to, you know, our last Dawson film, Naked City. Because uh, Naked City ends up being pretty pro-cop. Uh, and and pro that side of the criminal justice right equation yeah you know it's really interesting to look at that like to recontextualize naked city in yeah. after seeing this though because there's a really really powerfully strong argument to make about this movie being explicitly anti-incarceration yeah uh yeah. and 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 anti the way the system works right it's right. just it's it is I mean, I, it's real hard to read it any other way. Right. Uh, and the criminologist they interview agrees. Like, that's what this movie is, right? This right. movie is a is a condemnation of the idea that just jamming a bunch of people in a hole and saying, well, you'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, as a means of dealing with uh, problems in society is just a fucking broken system, right? That's the argument. Basically, right? Basically, yeah. So if this if, if if Naked City follows up, and we've talked about Dawson is all, the scene is also being just sort of kind of like taking whatever, right? Like just doing just doing works, right? But if we follow up that with Naked City, you start to wonder about how those two mesh together. They have to, right? I mean, he's a person, right? right? He has to be able to right. reconcile the things he does in his life coherently, right? So yeah. it's really interesting. Like, I think he's going towards an argument that is like. That what the police, the he doesn't understand the police and and this that element of the criminal justice system is being a problem. It's what we do once we right. identify that somebody is a criminal. Right. right. Dawson himself may not be anti-prison at this point in his life or ever in his life, and he may not have the imagination necessary to become anti-prison. Uh, whereas. Brute force makes a pretty strong anti-prison argument, but if you're if you can't make an anti-prison argument if the uh, existence of prisons is a is de facto, right? Right. Uh, you know, you have to. Uh, there is a certain level of humanity, the vast majority of humanity at this point uh, in life, <clears throat> that believes prisons are necessary. Period. Right. Yeah. And the argument then is, what do we do with prisons? Are we the drunk doctor in this movie who says prison should be about rehabilitation and job training? Uh, or are we the uh, sadistic, uh, brutal, fascistic head of security who wants to be warden and thinks that prison should just be about punishment and that uh, prisoners, prisoners who do not fall in line deserve to be beaten to death? Right, I mean, but I think it goes a little bit even. I think Dawson, Dawson's argument is a little bit even di- di- deeper than that in oh, the yeah. sense that, that right, like it's not just an argument of like what should prisons be, but like the end statement in this movie is fucking really intense. The doctor right. just straight up talks to the camera and says, "You're There's never no out of prison." Right, like once you're in prison, you're never out of prison, and that's a, I mean, that's a very intensely specifically. Yeah anti-incarceration argument right like you can't you can't because rehabilitation or not you're fucking 
it's over. Like that that it's part of who you are now, right? Yeah. Like uh you know, and the doctor even is pro rehabilitation, but the doctor more than once I if memory serves. Now maybe it's I'm starting to think it maybe is a fever dream. I don't know. It's been a long <laughs> time. Like right? it's been a long weekend. Um kind of makes the argument multiple times that like this is just this is all just kind of fucked top to bottom. Yeah. Like it's kind of he he talks about rehabilitation as a goal, but yeah. he also kind of addresses the idea that like this whole system, this is just all this is all garbage all the way down. Right. Uh, right. So I I tend to buy into that as the belief system of this film, right? For me at least. I think maybe and the only reason I say maybe is that there's also a reading of this movie as just a metaphor of class struggle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and of course, sure. of course, we can't, particularly uh, in our ideology today and in a uh, post-Angela Davis world where, where she makes these things explicit, and yes. I, I tend to agree with her, uh, we cannot let our or class struggle be separated from prison ab- abolishment. Right, right. Um, but uh, but I think Dawson, there are ways here where I think even the doctor's final statement that you can't escape this prison, uh, there is no escape, is a class element here in that we have an ineffectual leader and the... Uh, it, in so many ways, uh, Muncie is a uh, is a uh, worm tongue to our warden. More right. than uh, you know, the warden's not evil. He's just bad at his job and doesn't know what he needs to do. And he has these two guys giving him advice, but one one has more power in that situation too, right. and the other is also a drunk. Um, <laughs> but uh, but. Of our main characters, no one really deserves the prison sentence they're getting here. Right. Maybe some of them deserve to be punished. Not many of them deserve to be punished. But none of them deserve what's happening here. And uh, and like the Ichikawa films, anti-war films we watched last month, the real overt violence we see, we see a, we see a murder. Or at least a, a forced accident yep. Uh, yep. that our main characters orchestrate. Muncie, mm-hmm. of course, murders his own amount of people off screen too. But we see the murder, the the steam hammer uh, death. But that is that is a perhaps unavoidable byproduct of the system that is existing here. Uh, that is uh, forced four-star main characters into that system as survival. And also the guy who dies is the most explicit class traitor to a cla- right. to a pure yeah. class interpretation of this movie. He is the one who has aligned with the fascist, fascist overlord. He is the one who is uh, uh, giving information to them. And like, uh, you know, like, like even back to... Uh, uh, not Proud Valley, but the uh, the other uh, robes and work in that set, Native Land. You know the uh, the informants uh, are the first line that needs to be dismantled 
on our way to dismantling the rest of that hierarchy. Right, yeah. Because the the informants are going to undermine every step of the way. So, So there's the argument that prison is itself dehumanizing uh, to an extent. Um, I think it's also important to keep in mind that no one is beyond redemption. And we cannot, we cannot say prison is dehumanizing as a, uh, as a way of saying all prisoners are dehumanized and are no longer human to an extent. Um, which I think is well, a very fine line that a lot of people well, have that's, trouble Well, yeah, I mean, with. that's a complicated thing right. to talk about, right? Because, yeah. like, dehumanizing does not mean that you are not a human, right? That, that statement does not mean that. For a right? lot of people, it very much can, though. Right, and I understand that, but those people are wrong. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> like but saying they're wrong there's, there's a thing is not the same as saying they wrong. <laughs> a lot of people are wrong about a lot of things. Right. Present I mean, company included, Pat. So, yes, um, I know. I'm well aware of this. I, I, I'm just, just pointing out that like when you say something is dehumanizing, you're right. you're implying that you that the system has decided that the system has decided this person is not a human anymore. Right. It's not right. that he is that like they're innate like we get into a very weird sort of territory in the sense that, like, we like to make statements like, uh, you know, all humans are created equal, all people are right. created equal, and things like that. And then we also like to well, deal where, with that problem by just making people not human anymore. Where those uh, dehumanizing, not, where where dehumanization to mean non-human comes into play here is the idea of actual prison uh, abolishment or the idea of. Uh, anti-slavery work that is itself prison abolishment uh, as far as American slavery is concerned. Uh, there were a lot of, a lot of well-meaning abolitionists. Uh, they were abolitionists in the 19th century who still thought that slavery had pathologically affected the black race, that they would never be able to integrate with normal society. Yeah, and I've and I've heard. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. I... And the idea, the idea of uh, prison as an extension of that, I have heard. Well, right, and, and but and, and and while I will admit that we are often wrong, yeah. this is a thing that I'm well aware of. Those people, I mean, like there's a there is there are cons- there are pretty decently sized consensus among people who actually have done research on these sorts of topics about, you know. What happens and and the paths to re, you know to recovering yeah. from that and I guess it is a it is a detrimental experience very yes. clearly right like, but no amount of trauma the person, makes you non-human no right and that's and it is it is a it is totally you are totally able to be helped but the society has to decide it wants to help you and that's right. that's the problem right is that like part of the process of dehumanizing a person is rendering you not just it's not just about treatment. It's the way that the the society itself views you, and trying to make the society itself understand you as not human. Right. That way, they can ignore you. Right. Because right. like, if you're human, you deserve respect, right. at least in some some dosage. Right. And that's why we see the way different prisoners of different ethnicities are treated post incarceration is radically different. Yeah. Like, I mean, incarceration by itself has a has a a, a super del uh deleterious effect on all prisoners but it is much more intense for right uh and any amount know. of incarceration even incarceration that is is solely meant to be uh you know reformative 
Uh, right, no, because uh, yeah, yeah, there is no actual reformative prison, at least in the U.S. Perhaps, perhaps such re- a system re- does exist. Reformative, elsewhere, but. reformative prisons do exist. I've, I've, as far as I understand it, like yeah. there are some societies that have small enough criminal problems, or have not criminalized enough things yeah. that, like a, a, a truly functionally reformative process can. Right, and right. and it's and. They still have to deal with the fact that they are putting a person in a, in a box, and that's a problem. That inherently is a problem in and of itself. Within American culture, we have built upon the idea of people who have been to prison as dehumanized so much that we continue to punish them when they are out out of prison. Right. They are. They are. They, America it, conceives of people as being at least. Right certain classes and races of people as being irredeemable. Right. That is just the, the, the functional understanding of right. like there, if you're, you know, that the rules don't always apply across different class structures. Right. Because if you're, if you're rich enough, right. you're infinitely redeemable. Right. right. Uh, but we live in a nation where the vast majority across the country of former, uh, felon prisoners cannot vote. And cannot vote, usually can't get a job. Often cannot find a job, often have limited housing opportunities. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, depending on the crime, that can be significantly harder even. You know, uh, mm-hmm. sex crimes that get you listed on a registry, no matter what the initial crime was, all of, once you're on a registry, you're treated as if you are the worst of the worst. Right. Right. Uh, even uh, you can't, yeah, you even can't. if your particular crime was not was relatively not as bad, um, not that I, you know, I, I don't think those registries should exist, really. Uh, but I can understand someone worried about a child molester living next. Yeah, store. I mean, but uh, not everyone on the sexual uh, sexual uh, uh, registry. Well, is, and, the, and is then a the sexual offenders and, registry is used yeah. as a weapon, right? And that's a problem, right? right. It's used as a weapon, like right. You know, we get into very dubious territory when we talk about pedophiles and things like that. But yeah. it's not the, the registry contains a lot of people who are not pedophiles. Right. Like a lot, a lot of people who are not pedophiles. Right. Uh, so, you know. Yeah. So there's the breakdown of this movie and, and where right. this back way. to the movie. That <laughs> back we're to the movie. About, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the movie's even necessarily arguing that. Prison is bad so much as prison could be, could easily be be very bad. Because Muncie, Muncie's the only guard who's beating anyone. The rest of the guards are just doing their job. Yeah, but here's the thing, though, right? Uh, I, I think that this movie does have a practical, real understanding of what the term one bad apple actually means. That's fair. No one, no one stops Muncie. Things yeah. get very intense. Muncie is beating people, and they can hear him. And a couple are visibly upset, but nobody does a damn thing. Yeah. They all, in, in practical terms, possess within themselves the power to make it stop immediately. Right. They, not, not, I mean, like, will it have repercussions for their lives? Certainly. But they have all decided to place their personal continued happiness over the life of another person. Okay, like because these things are not comparable in, in actual practical terms, right? Like, yeah, they, they could go in there, stop it, lose their job, and probably find another job. 
It may not be in apparently the field they love, which is incarceration officer. Yeah. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like that Muncie does not possess within him the power to stop them from getting a job in like a fucking steel factory. <laughs> that's fucking impossible. Like that's just that's not right. Muncie is not the fucking governor or some shit. Like he's right. a warden over a prison. Uh, which already apparently has a very bad reputation because people just like, you know, keep in mind he's instilled or he's insta- installed after the prison is apparently just miserably failing, right? Right. Uh, so already like that should put him in sort of a probationary period anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, I would imagine. But regardless of that, he, any of those guards could stand up, walk in there, and make it stop. They could. They just right. they they have that power. It would, uh, I mean, it'd probably be easier to do with two of them. But I think if one went, more than one would go. Yeah. Right. Like there's a there's a certain amount of group solidarity there. Like if one of them's like, I just can't hand, I, we can't have this anymore, and like goes in there, somebody else is going to come with him. Uh, but even if it doesn't, like, is Muncie going to continue to is Muncie going to beat a fellow guard? I mean, it's possible, but then that fellow guard like. Has no reason not to like fucking go to the police, right? This dude just beat me at my job. <laughs> Fair. There should like, be a system in place where these guards could, uh, could if they do not agree with Muncie's uh, style, so to speak, uh, could uh, could have him removed from the position. Well, right. And, Absolutely. And ultimately, and that's there should the be a practical decision, s- and the warden, right. the warden is sympathetic to Muncie in some extent. Um, right, and 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 that's and there's, I mean, obviously there there should be, in some in 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 a in a version of an incarceration system that makes any sense at all. That should be, I mean, the fucking prisoner should have the ability to make these right, things stop. Right, right. Like, th- of course, but what I'm saying is in very real, meaningful, practical terms, without any systems put in place whatsoever by society, when they are listening to that prisoner being beaten behind the door, and one of them gets angry. He walks out of the room instead of into the room where the person's being right. Beaten. They are all, they are all colluding, right, on this violence. They are all a choosing to allow it to happen, which means, which we get that right down to the the brass tacks of what that phrase actually means, which is, the whole fucking barrel's rotten. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's an important thing to to understand because, I don't think that. Dawson can make this movie the way he made it and not make that true. He doesn't make the guards innocent. He just makes them not. He just makes them perpetrators. Yes. Uh, They're just not the perpetrators. Yeah. And some of them are because we do see that the ones down in the fucking mines are violent. Right. That's also fair. Yeah. Because that's where the people, the really bad people go, right? Like they've, they've created a class structure within the, yeah. Within the jail itself. Uh, that being yeah. said, I think the strongest argument that this is a movie about class and not about incarceration inherently is the fact that there is literally only one person who is not white in this entire film. <laughs> and he is he is some sort of ethnic stereotype. He is a, an actual Calypso singer. singer. Uh who uh, the the actor who plays him? Um, well, I I mean that's fine, but it is it, that's a choice, who, right? To have one single person right. who's not white in your film and have them be a a professional calypso singer, 
there's a named, lot of choices named being characters. Made there, right? I feel like there are other African Americans among the uh, among the group shots, like in the yard. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, but, but you well, know, yes. we don't typically count extras as <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> contribute yeah. because, like, that's not fair. Then, like, you could always just have, yeah, you know, by that classification, movies haven't been racist for a long time, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, Calypso. Uh, is his character name. He's played by a guy who actually uh, performed under the name Sir Lancelot, I believe. Um, Which is a rad name. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, popularized Calypso in the in North America. It's um, wonderful. I mean, yeah. seems like he probably would have been pretty familiar to the audience that's watching the film, maybe. Yes, yes. Which is great. I mean, that's all great. But, like, the reality of the matter is, but come on. He also he also exists as just an extra way of individualizing all of these prisoners, too, right? Um, Calypso is certainly his own character here, even if his right. own character is kind of a stereotype. Um, but then everybody, everybody in cell R seventeen are individuals, um, right? And I think that's a really meaningful thing to do, yeah. right? Like this is not just about criminals. Yeah. The other people, people we meet are individuals. Every every named prisoner <clears throat> is somebody, um, and. Uh, you know the the one murder is ultimately an act of self defense um and group defense yes of um, the one murder of the prisoner that our other prisoners do um and beyond I mean, that beyond sorry. that and we can argue justify it or not all day but beyond that everyone we see everyone we meet is either explicitly said to or by their nature implied to be there for something that is not a violent crime or is perhaps even not a crime. Everybody in R17 is there because of something that happened in their love for a woman. Uh, You know, the one, the one guy steals, embezzles in order to afford nice things for his wife. Um, who is frustrated at them being poor. The uh, uh, One of our characters uh, has been uh, utilizing army supplies in order to see his, his wife. He refers to her as his wife, uh, who is an Italian citizen during the war. Um, and then uh, um, we also have... Uh, our main character, Joe. Um, what is Joe's crime? Do you remember? Joe. Okay, so Joe's crime. I oh, shoot. Because his he's in love with the uh, invalid woman. Um, right. Yes. But I, and he he declares his love for her right before he gets arrested. But I can't remember what right. His actual, but I what can't his remember why. Yeah. Why is he being arrested? I can't yeah. remember. Are we told? Maybe I don't even remember. I'm not uh, sure that we're told. I can't. I can't call that scene to mind. I remember. I think. I think we're being told that he's arrested because he stops to see her. He gets caught. Yeah, it's a robbery. Well, running it's from? some sort of Is robbery. That, yeah, it very well. Because they're talking about getting away and stuff like that. Yeah, and it very so well I could think... be just that he's he's stolen money so that they can have a comfortable life together. Uh, right. Since she needs. You know, medical treatment. Um, and then the one guy who gets robbed by the lady thief is 
like a James Bond stereotype. <laughs> yeah. Know, he's he's well, the I mean, gentleman yeah, he's... thief that that in any other Dawson film and in any other uh any other we'll situation be a hero. Yeah. he he only steals from the rich and uh from the powerful. And he is he is a a low class guy who is infiltrated and uh and become you know, not even necessarily a Robin Hood in that he doesn't necessarily give his give his ill gains to other people, but he is still but putting it still to the powerful. He still only steals from the rich, right. yeah, the powerful, yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. And then we, you know, of course we've got uh, Gallagher and, and everybody else who are prisoners whose backstories we don't know, but they are equally as human as the guys who we do know, so we can assume right. they have similar backstories. And I think, and but that's you know that's an important thing about this film, right? Is the fact that the 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 prisoners are humanized. They are yeah. they are people in a prison. They're not prisoners. You know, in that in that sort of like yeah. way of understanding it, right? Yeah. Right. So, in much in much the same way of the Lower East Side people, uh in the naked city um our prisoners here are just a cross-section of working class people normal people right yeah uh and it is their struggle against the power hierarchies that are imprisoning them for a a class interpretation of this and again we cannot get too far away from that without realizing that Prison itself is a power hierarchy that imprisons working class people who are otherwise. Um, you know, our society creates crime. I'm reminded of a conversation I had many years ago. Um, longtime supporter and and frequent guest on our podcast, Stephen Goldmeyer, uh, was part of this conversation as well. Uh, and he's a public defender uh, in his day job, or was at the time. He's he's moved into some related but different work now. Uh, he and I and some friends were out for dinner and one of the friends brought up an episode of like Dateline or something they had watched and Dateline almost principally right now is, is true crime uh, and it was about someone who had been uh, falsely imprisoned uh, okay. for, for rape and murder uh, but upon release had committed a rape and murder and and the person who brought this up uh seemed to be saying uh perhaps that he had deserved then to have already been in prison because having been in prison he was kept from committing this rape and murder or more rape and murder earlier in life um and of course steven's Stephen and I both had a gut reaction. Then no, that's that's right. not right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to a certain extent, the uh, an argument can be made, you know, playing off of some of the things we've already said. That this is also a guy who has just spent decades in prison, being told that he's a monster, and being right. told and being that he's a murderer, like a rapist, yeah, and being, being treated yeah. as if he is a, a rape, <laughs> a rapist, and a, a murderer. Uh, and yeah, he becomes that momentarily when he leaves. And you know, there is there is power to the narratives that are forced upon our lives too. 
uh, and there are reasons reasons that people commit crimes that in a society where uh, even money wasn't an issue, uh, a lot of sort of a lot of crimes that are unrelated to money directly may not be committed. You know, uh, that if we if we break down the reasons people commit crimes, not just theft, but even murder. Uh, it is about a power imbalance that they feel helpless to overcome. And a just society could eliminate that uh, that uh, motivation for right. crime. Uh, but the American criminal justice system is not interested in making a just society. And never has been. Right. Right. Well, it's not. Yeah, it's not interested in a just society. It's not even interested in a society without crime. Right. Particularly, like you can't per- run a you cannot run a for profit criminal system, like right, justice right, system right. and say that your motivation is to eventually eliminate crime. That's We're, batshit. We currently in live in a system in America where private corporations own prisons, and their contracts for running those prisons with many state governments, including Ohio contain clauses that have the government promising occupancy levels that at least 90%, 70%, some level over 50% of this prison will be full. So we have we have organizations with contracts with the government where the government promises to arrest more people. Right. Yeah, it's all this is this is truly the 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 the, the dystopian element of this. <laughs> right. 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 Um, yeah. One of, uh, one of the quotes about brute force, I can't remember, I can't remember where I saw it, um, or, or who said it, it might've even been a a criterion essay, but, uh, it was described as hard hitting, but out of date. And, uh, the lessons of brute force are not out of date. They are not 100% the lessons we need to learn now because we have built right. upon the system. That... Right. This, the system, the system has evolved since then, right. but the roots of the, the, the system is still based on this. I mean, it's yeah. still, this is, this is still true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I could see, I could see, you know, if, if I were going to do an analysis of this movie now, you would have to bring up the fact that like, Look, shit's way worse now than you know. Like <laughs> right, it's gotten right. worse. This hasn't gotten better. Like it's out of date in the sense that like shit got worse. Uh, yeah. The system continued to evolve in even more and more negative ways, right? Right. Till we got to where we are now, and part of that includes trying to run a. Oh, fuck it. Like I can't just even talking about the concept of a for-profit prison. Just right. It's just so deeply upsetting and fucked up. Like, why are you? I, and those what? those same foreign profit organizations that are are running our prisons and uh, are owned by government officials or at least invested in by government officials, right? Just, are yeah, also the people it's... who have contracts to uh, uh, these same prison uh, groups have the contracts to run uh, uh, immigrant detainment centers. Are uh, yeah to to put them in the uh, I suppose most. Uh, 
most apolitical terms I can come up with. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think, I think at this point we've, we've, we've built solid ground for ourselves to just call them concentration camps. Because that's what they are. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think you and I need to dance around terminology right. here. Right. Because the reality of the matter is, is I've, I mean, right. it, it literally, this has been like, hey, we should give socialism a try. The podcast for like right. fucking three years or something like that. I, but I yeah. I think it's. But I core, just, just call them concentration camps. It's okay. Core Civic, uh, formerly the Corrections Corporation of America, uh, is one such private organization. <laughs> Slash uh, group that changes its name anytime right. it gets into trouble. <laughs> right. Uh, and they are they are one of the largest uh, prison corporations uh, in America. They manage 77 correctional detention and residential reentry facilities across the country. Um, their, their business tagline, Core Civic, better the public good. Uh, <laughs> but, but they are an organization that uh, November uh, 9th, uh, 2016, uh, their stock prices... Uh, went up tenfold. Yeah, because course, yeah. because when Donald Trump was elected on the promise that he was going to deport eleven million people, uh, CoreCivic was in a prime position to uh, be on the forefront of that initiative. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think I think the the you know the lesson we come down to. <laughs> Always at the end is capitalism is bad. <laughs> like right. this now, whole thing is is a is a is the. I mean, it, I want you to stop and think for a minute. Just how far down? Like, I'm a big fan of the cyberpunk genre. Okay, yeah. this is the thing we've we've not talked a lot about it, but like <laughs> big fan. And um, I want you to think about how far we've gotten down that fucking hole, and we didn't get any of the cool shit. Nope. Not one fucking... I got Facebook <laughs> instead of what I was promised. I want fucking chromed out cybernetic fucking legs. <laughs> if I'm going to sell my soul to a, co- a corporation that's going to know everything about me, I want fucking cyber legs. <laughs> I've got fucking Facebook, which is just the... It's the... is is the, the sad... It's just the what? Like the, the, the racist ant exposure system. <laughs> right. Basically. is That's all it is, right? Like, I mean... It's real. It's real disappointment. I'm. It's a real letdown that right. they managed to, to 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 get the dystopia without giving me anything in exchange. Now you could you could paint Facebook positively, I suppose, as a uh, a cybernetic enhancement to your memory. Uh, but it's also just as hard to uh, to pull it's also up useless individual. for that though. Yeah. yeah so I mean, yeah, my like, brain we all functions got... slightly better than Facebook's search feature. Oh, so. absolutely. <laughs> So like I got I got fu- I don't search on Facebook. Yeah, that's a nightmare. I I tried it one time like a couple weeks ago. I was like, well, that fucking didn't go well. <laughs> right, I got right. a bunch. I just it was awful. I just got nothing. I got no returns that were of any value. And I was like, well, what did I expect? <laughs> uh, why why am I even here right now? Uh, but yeah, no, it's just I don't know. It's just, but like the rabbit hole of like prisons are the same way, right? Like we we get. It's just all this bad, bad stuff that is an evolution of the bad stuff that we let start a long time ago, and just nothing, nothing in exchange for it. Right, right. 
Now, I will step away uh, from making this wholly a class argument. I, I uh, yeah, that's reasonable. Certainly, certainly, prisons and prisons that need reformed exist outside of capitalistic society too. Abs- um, well, yes. True, as much as like, anything truly exists outside of a but that's the problem right i mean that's where we get into that right. problem is that they they all sort of but derive because capitalism prison, prison existed before capitalism this is okay. true but power yes. has existed for a very but, very long time but power and it's about the democracy capitalism and the way and the way markets is. work is just a is just yeah. a re-manifestation of power hierarchies right 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 right, right. In the fundamental core right right so like so. We, we use capitalism as a shorthand because like, yeah, it, it actually actively encourages people to act badly. That's what we're here today. <laughs> Where it's what's here, and it, it also has this the extra beneficial element of just ma- like actually actively teaching people to behave badly. Yeah, towards their fellow man, uh, it makes it kind of pretty rough to deal with. Yeah, and that's and that's another thing that this movie actually brings up. You know, when uh, when we're having that first meeting about the purpose of the prison. Uh, the uh, whoever that outside official is who comes in, right? Dude who um, comes in to tell, to tell him to turn in his badge and gun, basically, basically um, the, warden. the warden's boss. Um, yeah, you know, it's pointed out that that both the uh, both the corporate business owners and the trade unions don't want these prisoners to have job training. Um. And it's not one matter of that is competition, which is a a, a place we exist today even more so than uh, in that uh, prison labor for pennies on a dollar um, can outbid uh, almost any industry in America. And in fact, a lot of uh, manufacturing for companies like Walmart and, and Target uh, is being done in America in prisons. A lot of call center work is being done in America by prisoners. Um, and very prominently over the last year, we have seen a lot of talk about the uh, the forest fire, uh, the wildfire firefighters in California who are prisoners. Because right. I mean, that's like the who, pri- that's just right. it's such a perfect example right making like it just works making yeah. barely anything and not not only that but within the state of california it is even worse in that they are being paid pittance for very dangerous skilled labor and they are legally barred from doing that same labor after they're let go after right. they're after they're out of prison uh so it's not actual job training because they can't legally be... Because it's not a job they're allowed to have, yeah. 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 At least within California. Now, there are there are now uh, other states uh, and even a move within California to allow uh, the hiring of ex-cons as, as file, uh, firefighters and wildfire fighters. Uh, but, yeah, it is not... Right. Yeah, I mean, it's not. That's not the case right now, though. Right. I mean, that's, that is not the know, case right now. With the, you know, speculatively so, speaking, it may get better, but 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 one thing that 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 capitalistic intrusion into this idea is doing is turning the trade unionists against the working class of the prisoners, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and it is 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 
pitting those interests who who they have much more in common uh and one thing if if we're if we're interpreting this movie as uh as an allegory for class struggle then it is certainly also arguing that uh the uh working class has much in common with prisoners uh, right and uh and that whole the capitalist power structure here pits the working class against prisoners as con- competition in the same way that it pits white working class versus black working class and yeah. uh, and native workers, um, native born workers against immigrants uh, in the idea that you are competing for the pittance that we are giving you. Um, right. That yeah. That right. that that and false the, scarcity right, job right. resource and thing. the <laughs> the actual fight that needs to be fought is for that whole pie, not for your your piece of the pie, uh, because the other guy doesn't want your piece. They just want enough to live on themselves, uh, and the guy who's got seventy five percent of the pie, <laughs> he's your enemy. Seventy five is so ge- is so is so uh, <laughs> right, right, right. Generous about the about 99. how how much they're giving away. Uh, right, right, right. You mean the person who owns ninety nine point nine percent of the pie? Yeah, yeah. So, right. Uh, so yeah, this this movie mentions that and and plays uses that to. Uh, uh, it's not Dawson is aware of that problem i think even as it's not overtly commented on it is it is a uh, it is something that's planted here too right yeah yeah i think so yeah um you know switching gears a little bit uh you mentioned on the last episode uh and i think the last episode explicitly used footage from triumph of will i was reminded of triumph of will in this episode um when muncie is declared uh the new warden he is on the tower and shot yeah. from below uh over the masses of the prisoners gathered gathered down below and of course unlike in triumph of will those prisoners do not cheer um, right but then over the course of the next few minutes of the film not only does monthly muncie uh get killed uh but the tower itself burns right it is right the, the walls of the prison are on fire by the end of this movie. Uh, right. And that's, uh, that is a symbolism <laughs> in the end, right? Even, right, even yeah. as, even as every main character we've talked to, uh, dies um, with the exception of the doctor. The, yeah. Um, the prison burns, the yeah. prison burns, uh, and particularly I, the walls of the prison burn. Right. Which are, yeah. I mean, which are the prison, right? Like, I yeah. mean, yeah, the things that's keeping it's, people inside. <laughs> right. The the fascinating. I I'm really fascinated that you brought up the um, M- Muncie and I and you know that's the, at the very end there. Yeah. But I'm also fat. I'm deeply fascinated by how intensely bad guy like superhero like supervillain bad guy he gets there. Right. Like he has a poster of himself behind himself. Right. In his <laughs> office, it's wild. Like it's like he goes. I, if there is one flaw in this film. I would say that Muncie becomes almost cartoonishly bad. Right. When he's when his his gra- his grip on power becomes he becomes it's 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 more than is necessary, right? right? Like he has the power he wants. And so like him continuing to be 
just well he doesn't actually get the power he wants until the very end right because he right. wants like, to be wants, warden right. and he's right. not he declared to warden these, yeah. right he's not declared warden a, until the warden right. is forced to resign um right and he won't be warden until and essentially part of the part part and parcel of that is ensuring that like everything right. is peaceful like all right. the he factions is, that are moving are subdued. Yeah. He is warden for all of five minutes in this movie. Yeah, but, yeah, which is uh, good. I mean, yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying that like there's a there's his cartoonishly evil right. nature is is I think somewhat problematic for telling an honest story about this. Like yeah. he's not subtle at all. Like spe- he is somewhat subtle at the beginning, and he's not subtle at all at the end. When the uh, when the one guy's brought in, who's he's going to try to beat information out of? Uh, once he is in his office without his shirt on, polishing the weapons of his torture. Right, absolutely. Uh, it, it's it's like James, It's like fucking uh, yeah. This it's is Doctor Indiana No. Jones it's, level shit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Some James Bond, yeah. Indiana Jones <laughs> level. Like I'm a cartoon of a bad guy. Yeah. Um, uh, but he's yeah. also there's subtler moments in this film where Muncie is is reaching out for power. Like after the warden leaves and, and Muncie and the doctor are in the warden's office and Muncie is just casually uh, cleaning up the desk and then sits in the warden's right, chair. Right. You know, he's already assuming, assuming power here, right? Even though right, he's not right. been declared warden. Uh, he's taking the throne, you know. Uh, and he's taking the throne from an ineffectual king. And the whole king system is a system that needs overthrown here too, right? So, right. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, the whole thing is. Yeah. I mean, like it's a, yeah. I mean, this movie is a definitely an allegory for class struggle. Like, like let's yeah. let's be clear here. Like, it's it's patently obvious. It's just it's just the level to which the move understanding how far the movie's willing to willing to go, basically, yeah. right? Like. And, and, that, and that's hard to know. That's a little hard to know. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that this, you know, and, and in that you may be right that it's not calling for prison abolition or anything like that. Yeah. But uh, it, it certainly doesn't like the system as it stands in any right. shape or form, right? Like, it, it doesn't, the movie doesn't really argue that any part of the system right. is good. And at the very least, it is calling for solidarity with prisoners. Right. Absolutely. And I, yeah. And I think that's any any basic political understanding of this film has to see that. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, you could I don't I I would I, it would be very hard to watch this film and not understand it, right? Like I <laughs> right. mean that would be I think you could real... as as just a prison movie. I think you can watch this movie without understanding. Not yeah, every Yeah, but like I, I think are... our criminologist documentary uh uh yeah. commentator makes a pretty decent point that this is so weirdly different from other prison films yes. that even watching it as a prison film would feel weird. Right, right. There are prison like films would, you can watch as It would do the things it was supposed films. to do, right? It would fail to do the things you would expect it to do. Yeah. But, uh, but, so. you know. <laughs> Still possible. I'm just saying it would be hard. There are, uh, the the criminologists who they talk to uh, for one of the, one of the, uh, extras uh, is a guy named paul mason um and he he's also sort of a, a historian of prison films um and he mentioned some more recent prison films um escape from new york is a great one and, and yeah but even more recent prison films are all political right 
Uh, but even I was thinking of Con Air, which I watched recently. Yeah. And he doesn't mention Con Air. And Con Air is not really a prison film, but it's a prison plane film, <laughs> I guess. Well, so, right. But I mean, he but, acknowledges that not all yeah. prison films take place in right, prison. Right, right, so, right. I mean, that's an important right. point. 25th Hour is a, a pre prison film. Um, but Con Air is, is perhaps the rare exception to these other prison films in that uh, the prisoners are actually the bad guys in Con Air. Um, right. Yeah. And, and not only that, the, but the prisoners who are the bad guys represent this uh, vast swath of conservative fears about liberal America. The, uh, the bilingual intellectual, the, uh, the trans uh, gay kid, uh, you know, they're all uh, the big scary black man, and uh, the only sympathetic prisoners are the uh, guy who went to prison because uh, some guy who insulted Vietnam uh, and and tore off our main characters' medals from mi- the military. Uh, our main character then killed him in self-defense um, and protecting his pregnant wife. Uh, so like there's there's this uh, well okay yeah I mean Conair Con is, is like a, a ridiculous super, nightmare straw man argument yeah, but it's like a it's a super you know, conservative like straw man form. movie <laughs> yeah in, in uh, movie form it's a yeah, wild movie yeah it's... Uh, but uh, but yeah I don't know why I was thinking about that just in relation to the conversation uh, Mason was having about other prison movies <laughs> um, because you know so much so much other stuff prisons are seen as this. Other prison movies. Think about the other prison movies we've watched as part of the collection. Uh, Latrow is a prison escape movie, the whole. Um, and that's we're, we're sympathetic to all our main characters. Usually prison movies, especially the ones that Criterion Collection chooses to show us, uh, we're sympathetic to the prisoners. And the well, right, but that's I mean, but yeah, but you've also named the fundamental crux of movies, right? Like right, a movie right. about you've a non sympathetic uh, sympathetic yeah. character is a nightmare that yeah. is almost unbearable to watch. Yeah. And the the weird thing about Con Air then is that it sort of eliminates any possibility of a fascistic allegory to the society of the prison by removing it from the prison. There's only there's only three people in power on the plane, and they're all quickly dispatched. Right. So, right, uh, and none of them are are high level people. Um, whereas something like say even Shawshank deals with uh, brutal, brutal, uh, you know, prison hierarchy and guards and 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 wardens and. Uh, but even something like Shawshank's Redemption explicitly has a main character who is innocent of the crimes he's accused of, right? right. And uh, and the other the other prisoners he deals with are sympathetic, but not necessarily innocent. Uh, and there's certainly sadistic prisoners too. This right. is this is a movie where the only bad prisoners. Are turncoats right, and the turncoats right. themselves are pressured into it, right? 
Right, and I think it's important to understand, like, I don't know, again, this is, there's a lot of perception here. Yeah. But I even, I, I felt sympathy towards the prisoner who dies. I mean, we right. we watch him get cornered like an animal, and we see his, the other prisoners turn on him, and you, you do feel sympathy for him. Like, it's, you don't, I mean, it's interesting, because at least personally, like, we as an audience... Don't look at that murder and be like, well, it had to happen. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're not told to do that. I don't think the the movie lays it out for us like that, yeah. right? Like, it is also a tragedy. Uh, he is a class, you know, he's a traitor. And so, like, we understand their motivations, but I don't think we're, we're meant to, like, absolve them of their actions, if that makes sense. I don't, it doesn't, because the way he dies is just so intense and brutal that, I mean, I don't think we're meant to be look at it and be like, well, that was un- that was unpreventable. Uh, so and and while and and I think to a certain extent that's supposed to help give our main characters a certain amount of moral gray area to them, right? Yeah. They're they're not they're not terrible people, but they're also not like baby lambs that are. Oh yeah, you yeah. Know, Certainly, that, like have never done anything wrong. They're like, and I think that's important in this film because yeah. our prisoners are real people, supposed, right? And so the point is, they're real people who have done bad things. Yeah, and then the movie sp- works from there to say like, but like, do, do do they deserve this? Is this what is this what it should be happening? Uh, and and that and that by nature of making them not black and white forces the audience to kind of deal with society in general right because no no one's just a no one's just a weird uh straw man or stereotype that you can just be like well he deserves or he doesn't deserve it no you actually have to process it yeah look at it and say well what does this mean that's i think that's valuable right right and that's you know it's that's another way uh activists in particular, dehumanize people who are they they are ostensibly trying to help is to infantil- <laughs> infantilize them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and getting back to what I said earlier about uh, about nineteenth century abolitionists, that certainly plays into it. Um, so it's in, you know you have to realize that these are individuals and they are humans, and that they are complicated humans in as much as anyone is a complicated human, um, and sometimes. The forces in your life lead you to do a thing that uh, you would not otherwise have done. Yeah, right. You know, not every not every criminal, not every murderer is a sociopath. You know, and the idea that uh, committing murder is its own act of insanity is pro- a problem. <laughs> period. Right. Right. I mean, yeah, so. exactly. And, and like what I mean. What it what it reveals to us is the thing we've we've practically known for a very very long time, which is like pe- people find themselves in positions where they need help. Yeah, people find themselves in positions where society should be looking to help them be you know be a part of society, be be a functional member of society, and society generally fails to do that because it's not the easiest path to take. Yeah. Right, that path is fraught with pitfalls and, and issues whereas the throw them in a hole and forget about them is not right like at least not on paper right like if you can make it so that society forgets they're there 
yeah. and they're not a problem anymore. And that's the goal, right? That's essentially the way we run prisons, right? That's just yeah. What can we do to make sure that nobody cares about these people anymore? This is tough. But if I were, yeah, it is really tough. I mean, but like you know, I I think is is this a perfect movie? Does it does it does it hit the points exactly right? I mean, like we talked about, like it doesn't deal with right. race as a part of uh, right. incarceration and stuff like that. No, but like I don't see a lot of super like prison abolitionist movies being made, and this is damn close to one. <laughs> right. Right. Like I gotta, I gotta take what I can get, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, this is damn close to that. This is this is very very close to a, a a meaningful, powerful argument that this entire system is fucked up, and we just shouldn't do this anymore. Right, right. And that's uh, and to think that that movie was made, and then the very next year, a police are. Every man, good guys. Movie was made. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and 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 that probably comes from a place of power, right? right? Like we we've talked about this before, right? Like if you are if you are if you are in a position where you know police are probably not bad guys for people like Dawson. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. And that's that's a whole problem, right? That's a blindness on but, him, right? And but to it's also a blindness that I certainly possessed in my life. To also time, be fair time. to to Dawson and Naked City. To the people of the Lower East Side, the police—they're not friends. Yeah, are yeah. not enemies necessarily, but they are not friends. Yeah, and true—that's true. Yeah, and the particularly the the woman who sells him a root beer knows that, and she's she is trusting of him to an extent, and then it becomes clear that she he is no longer her friend, uh, and he he means her no means her no overt harm, but it is a. A matter of her community being protected, and right, yeah, yeah absolutely, uh, yeah, and you know that's another thing that ultimately the motivations in uh, the motivations within Naked City are all greed, right? Everybody's making money here, right? So, it's, yeah, nobody, nobody's really pressured in. Right. No, no one's in these positions because right. you know. We we can talk about things being deeper than that, right? Like, yeah. ca- you know, capitalist society is generally leading people to make these kind of decisions because you have to have money, and then that 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 tends to escalate and, and things like that, of course. But, um, you know, it's also an important point. We talked about this last time uh, with that movie, and you know, we're talking about it a little bit today. There are no black people in this in in Naked City. Yeah, there's nobody. There's no class of people. In Naked City, who should be very, very wary of the police, except right? the lower class period. But lower class period, but but, but they aren't but necessarily. We, but there, it's a that's a different relationship. Yeah. That 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 right. Naked I mean, City, Naked City almost presents New York as some sort of utopian city, right? Where right. where we, yeah we talked this about murder that. Yeah. this murder that happens is abnormal disrupts the utopia. And disrupts, yeah and. Yeah, and, and part of the way you can achieve that in a movie is to leave out, you know, is to to make your movie only about white people, right, right. in New York, which is which is a crazy thing to do, right? Let's be very clear here. That's right. That's a wild thing, right? And and this movie has that same problem in that 
no doubt that that the incarceration experience would be di- would be different for different people. Uh, and, and again, I not that's but then again, I'm not sure what what year was this movie made? It was like 1947. Seven. So I'm not actually sure what prisons were like in 1947. Honestly, well, I'm sure were they prisons weren't great. segregated. Um, no. Uh, I think it's worth asking, I right? Mean, I mean, that's a reasonable question to ask, I think. So we do predate um, much of the uh, more overt prison reform movements in the U.S. here, right? Um, uh, so like uh, like the Attica riots and, uh, goodness, uh, what am I thinking? What's the Louisiana Angola? Um, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, Angola still exists, right? Angola is still yeah. used as the yeah. state pen. Um, but it became much more overtly uh, politicized later than this, right? Um, right. And, you know, Angela Davis uh, rising uh, to the forefront of prison abolition through through the 70s and 80s and today. Uh that's a different different conversation to be held to. So this well, it's a further end of this conversation. So what Dawson's what Dawson's reacting to here, I'm sure there are movements for prison reform in that there are always movements for prison reform and there are always the tension between what we want prisons to be that the doctor and Muncie represent here. Right. Um but again, I don't think there's I can't think. I am not familiar uh, with the entire history of prison abolition uh, in the U.S. or elsewise. Right. Uh, Yeah, me neither. But I don't imagine there was a lot of it going on as early as 1947. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But but you know I don't again I don't I don't know but I I I don't think that that saying that it's not a popular was not necessarily a popular movement yeah. changes what this movie is right uh, I mean and even makes it more important uh, if this movie is making argument for abolition and I feel I you know I started off and I still stand by what I said to start this off. I don't think prison abolition exists in Dawson's imagination. I don't think he thinks that that is. No, a I thing think that I think happen. you're probably right. I I agree with that. I think yeah. I think he probably wants prison reform. Yeah. He probably wants prison to be rehabilitative rather than yeah uh, punitive. Right. I think those arguments are very clearly and strongly made in this film. Right. Yeah. Like that. Those are very like those are right there. Like that you can't. They're unavoidable, right? Those arguments in this film, right? It, they're just there. I mean, they're just yeah. the story, basically, right? Um, it, it's just, I, I mean, I think that, like, you know, if you, that being said, there's a, there's a certain amount of logical extension from there, even if he's not thinking about it. Certainly, some people who watch this movie did. Yeah. There's going to be some people who watch this and say to themselves, "Well, I guess we just got to fucking get rid of the whole thing." I mean, there's just no, this is not redeemable. This yeah. is not going to ever work because it is hard to watch this and think of like, "Well, if only this thing had been different, it all would have worked out great." Right? Like what? The warden being stronger? I assume the warden being stronger is him just being more like Muncie. Ooh, 
Oh, interesting. Okay. Emma Goldman was a prison abolitionist. Emma Goldman is an early 20th century. Uh, she wrote about prison abolition in a 1911 essay. Uh, she's an anarchist, um, very much an anarchist. And I suppose that's probably where prison abolition mostly existed. Uh, <clears throat> and still, <laughs> to a certain extent, mostly exists. Um, anarchists are much more uh, willing to be prison abolitionists than even other leftists. But uh, <laughs> Right. I, 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 that's... That does make sense in the context of our society and stuff, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and to a certain extent, the same argument Dawson's making here uh, certainly exists in the works of Dostoevsky, right? Crime and Punishment. Right. Right. So, so yeah. Um, yeah. But I still feel like the idea of ab- uh, abolition is outside of of Dawson's I, pro- I agree. That is probably true. Uh, you know. So. I, I mean, the, let's be honest. Right now, right now, this mo- very moment that we exist in, that we are living in right now, that idea is still far outside the, the realm of yeah. conceivability for a majority of humans. And there are plenty of days uh, in my life where it's outside my, my imagination, Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really so. hard one. It's a, that, one is, that one fits into the territory of being extremely hard yeah. to, like keep in your mind yeah. to like be able to say in your mind yes this is a thing that it would be good for society right and and you know and then then, then you get into this sort of mental game where it's like you know you don't actually have to you are not obligated to answer the question so what do we do yeah that's society's problem to figure out right saying this thing is bad and shouldn't exist anymore doesn't imply you have an obligation to solve the fucking problem in in as much as like come up with the replacement right um, do, are there crimes committed? Absolutely. Can we yeah. make a do a lot more effort to minimize crimes? Absolutely. Are there some people who are fundamentally need a lot of rehabilitation and help to be a functional member of society? That is definitely going to be true and will always probably be true, right? If nothing else, just the sheer presence of like all the influences on a human being's life that are, are unmanageable in terms of like as, as variables means that some people will need a lot of help. Yeah. And so a replacement, something to help those people has to be created and exist. Right. But, but that's not, it's not your job to figure out today what that is just to be able to say prison is an inherently evil thing to do to people. Yes. And, and and that's where I where I come down on it. It's like it's the same as like talking about war, right? Like I don't, I can't fix the fucking world, right? But what I can tell you is, is this thing is bad, right? And we shouldn't do it anymore, right? And what what replaces it, or well, you know, in the case of war, what doesn't replace it? Because fuck it, we don't need it. Period. Um, it may, but maybe it is some sort of weird, uh, bad science fiction movie where we all play basketball against each other or some shit. I don't know. Um. You know, it's uh, you know that's not your job. Yeah. But uh, I, I, you know, and so, uh, in this, in the case of this movie, it makes a strong argument that the whole thing is broken and wrong and and doesn't work properly. And you know, he doesn't come up with the idea that we should can the whole system. But I give him a for effort, and also making a pretty good film. Like, I mean, it's it's also very very well done and very affecting. Right? Like, you feel very strongly for the characters in the film. 
you care about their well-being and what happens to them. I think we can pull this to a close, but I uh, yeah. In yeah. in regard to the conversation at hand, uh, I do want to end on a, on a positive-ish note. Um, uh, one rare for us. <laughs> the uh, one of the first steps to to uh, positive prison reform in America would be the elimination of the death penalty. Uh, even of if we're not abolishing I mean, all prisons, one. abolishing yeah. the death penalty is a great positive step. Uh, a gentleman just today uh, named Rodney Reed, who is scheduled to be executed mm-hmm. this week, I believe, uh, in Texas, um, has received a uh, indefinite stay on his execution. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Uh, which is very good, especially since... Uh, he has been in prison for over 20 years, and it is becoming increasingly evident uh, to uh, that he did not commit the murder he's accused of, um, and that uh, up to and including uh, the fact that the uh, the murder victim's fiance, uh, who later went to prison for uh, rape and murder. Um, has been uh, had a cellmate who he confessed this murder to. Um, so, well, Rodney Reed should probably just be out of prison uh, right now, um, right. given the I evidence mean, yes, at hand. Obviously, yeah. uh, he is at least not going to be murdered by the state for a crime he did not commit, which is. Uh, a net good. <laughs> it is. It is. It yeah. is. It is still appalling that that's yes. like the good news, right? But, right. Yeah. Right. So, hopefully, uh, that means he. Good will news. Be, we're uh, not going to murder an innocent man. Right. We, we, we've done it, guys. At least for the next you know, hundred and twenty days, we won't. Right. I, but I agree. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is obviously a positive thing. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, by the time this uh, this post goes to air. Uh, Hopefully, Rodney Reed will uh, have been fully exonerated, but uh, we'll see. It's still Texas. Yeah, I mean, the, the stay of execution did also called up to and including a complete, like, uh, I forget yes. exactly what the phrasing was, but, like, we're going to, right. we need to answer this question, right. basically, like a re, right. sort of retrial and stuff like that. So. And, uh, yeah, there is... Uh, wasn't, there, wasn't there a light an, an, a light dash of perjury also, I think, I, I remember reading? like More than... Uh, didn't no. at least one witness commit perjury, I think they Probably. said? I, Probably. I feel like that was... I, I, I don't remember the whole story, but it's not a good one. Um, Rodney Reed is an African-American man. Mis, uh, the victim of the crime, uh, the deceased, is uh, a white woman uh, named Stiles uh, and... Uh, Reed says that uh, the reason that there was DNA evidence uh, of him having a uh, of having had sex with Miss Stiles is that they were in a sexual relationship, uh, and in fact, uh, the uh, the confession in jail um, has uh, her fiance saying that he killed her because she was having an affair with a black man. Uh, so, hey. Um, there is, however, bipartisan support on getting uh, getting Mr. Reed uh, out of prison um, from uh, Republican Texas lawmakers and Kim Kardashian and Rihanna, among other people who have spoken out in his <laughs> Just, defense. So, yeah, yeah. Um, 
high-profile case, uh, certainly, and would love to see more of these sorts of things happening. Would just love to see the abolition of the death penalty at the very least. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a nice be a nice turn yeah. of events. That would be good. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah, yeah, it would be. I'd like to see it here too. Yeah, would real lo- really well, love yeah, to I see it. Yeah, I forgot. Japan does still practice oh, yeah. capital punishment. Yeah, by by hanging. By hanging. Yeah. Yep. It's gruesome and disgusting. Oh, I'm sure. It's a thing that upsets me very much. I'm sure, and it should. Uh, anyway. This week we've been talking about Brute Force from Jules Dassin, 1947. Uh, next week we'll be talking about Vengeance is Mine, uh, filmed by Shohai Imamura. Uh, we've seen one one movie from Imamura before. Uh, the Pornographers was his. Okay. Um, this is a, a film I very vaguely remember. <laughs> I don't know that The Pornographers was worth remembering. So. I, I remember a single scene of a man running out in the mountain with, like, a weird camera. That's what I remember the pornography. <laughs> yes, 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 that is a thing that happened in that movie. Uh, but, yeah, so we look forward to that. Uh, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Corritari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.BandCamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.